Good, uh, thank you, Mona, first for uh, praying for us. Uh, good morning, good afternoon. It's all about that time. We don't know what, what to say, but I hope that you got well. So, um, you know, uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Mark. Um, and right now we are in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. So if you can open up your Bibles or turn on your apps and, and uh, let's read God's word. And right now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna only read 17 through 22, and we'll get to the other parts uh, a little later. Uh, 17 through 22. Um, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Uh, you know, uh, Tim Keller says, uh, some of Jesus' sayings um, are like hard candy. You know, I actually brought, a, you know, a chocolate and, and a candy, but I ate it in between the services. So I don't have, I'm just kidding, I just forgot to bring it up here. But um, some of, the, uh, some of the sayings, Jesus, uh, uh, Tim Keller says, Jesus' sayings are like hard candy, unlike chocolate. Chocolate is one that you kind of open, uh, you put it in your mouth, you might um, chew on it for just a little bit, but, or it melts and it goes away, or it goes away into your stomach, and it's temporary pleasure, right? Uh, but hard candy, uh, you don't bite into it right away. Um, you don't bite into it, you might chip your tooth, uh, but what you do is you, you kind of work on it for a while. Right? You work on it, work on it, until it finally disappears. And, and Tim Keller says, it's, you know, some of Jesus' things, like this particular one, is like that. It takes time. It, it, you have to look at it. And what Jesus does is to the ritual, to the disciples, and to us, he reveals a little bit more of the truth. And it gets better and better until it gets to a, one point where he tells us that we have to choose him or something else and this is how jesus does these things he corrects then he tells him the truth then he tells him go ahead and decide and this is what happens uh, with this conversation with this interaction with this rich young ruler and I, i'm sure it made an impact on the disciples too because um, this is one of the few stories that all three gospel writers matthew mark and luke um, a desire to share with us. Uh, and so this impacted them heavily also. So let's look at this story, um, and let's see who this rich young uh, ruler is. Uh, since we have three accounts, we know that he was rich, we know that he was young, and he was extremely wealthy. Now this is a little bit unique, um, because most of the times when somebody interacts with Jesus, we really don't know too much about them. We don't know their background that much. And so there's a purpose in Jesus or, or Mark telling us what kind of man this was. This man is portrayed as, first of all, young, rich. 
and a ruler, probably a ruler in a synagogue, um, in the local synagogue there. So he was a man of respect, but he was still in his prime. He wasn't a, an old man, so he seems like he had it all together. And it wasn't only that, but he didn't, he wasn't, it didn't look like he was uh, greedy. You know, later on, he'll you know, tell us that he didn't defraud anyone, that he didn't gain his wealth by stealing from everyone. He did it the right way. He was pious. He was following the, the um, laws of God. And this one, this guy would have been a perfect disciple of Jesus Christ. That's probably what the disciples were thinking, especially if we got this guy on our side, we would have influence over the whole synagogue in that local area. So this was a, a person uh, that... I'm sure the disciple desperately wanted, hey, let's get this guy. Let's make him a follower of Jesus Christ. So that's the type of man he was, and that's how they saw him. But yet, I think there's something hidden uh, with this person um, that is not clearly evident in this story. And I think this person, although outwardly he seemed perfect, I think there was an inward struggle. Um, there was an inward struggle with him. Because if this man was so put together, not only just in the worldly sense, but in the Christian sense too, why would he need to go to Jesus and ask this basic foundational question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Because he knew the answer. He knew what a good rabbi would say. The teachings, the great rabbis, rabbis of that time, if you came with that answer, they would tell you, go and obey the statutes of God and avoid sin to inherit eternal life. And it looks like as a devout Jew, because he was a ruler in synagogue, he knew that answer. He knew that that's what all rabbis would say. But yet, something didn't fit right with that answer. It didn't satisfy him. There was something else. And so I'm sure he heard about Jesus, this unique rabbi. So he goes, this outwardly perfect man, but an inwardly struggling person, goes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this question, the way it was formed, we can already tell that he was on the wrong track. As Christians, we, we know this as we read this. Because he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because he felt like there was something that he can do. And I'm sure with all the resources, he can probably do it that he wanted to achieve this eternal life. What must I do? And so Jesus starts answering him, but slowly with his answer, he is teaching him and us what this eternal life is all about. First is, what is eternal life? And that's the question that needs to be answered. Because I, didn't think he, I don't think he knew what, actually, what he was actually asking. What is eternal life? And if you look at John chapter 17, verse 3, this is what Jesus said. This is when he was praying 
to God in that upper room. And verse, 17, or verse 3 of chapter 17 in John, he says, and this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. For this rich young ruler, he promised that eternal life was living forever. And that's part of it. That's part of what eternal life means. But he didn't get the core of what truly what eternal life is. What Jesus explains is that they may know you, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And this is how he teaches that, that truth. He says to his question, what do I what do? I do? What, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him in verse 18, why do you call me good? What a strange answer, right? <laughs> he asked the question, how do I get eternal life? Then he goes, well, why'd you call me good? <laughs> well, and I'm sure that he was like, a little first, wait, wait. That's not what I'm asking. Jesus always does this uh, with the people that ask him questions. He always asks them a question. Anytime you ask a question and somebody asks, asks you a question, they're trying to teach you something. And that's what Jesus does. He says, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good, and that is God. And at this moment, we can pretty confidently say that this young rich ruler didn't understand that Jesus was God. So by calling him a good teacher, and by the way, that word, that phrase good teacher is almost never used to a rabbi. So it was an uh, it was a extraordinary um, compliment to Jesus. It says, good teacher, and Jesus, why are you calling me good? And not saying that Jesus wasn't good, but this is what he was teaching. He says, if you think that I am good, and you also think that I am a human being, not equal with God, what are you implying? That probably means that you think you can achieve my goodness. You see that? What he's doing is he's saying, teacher, you are good, and you have eternal life. I'm sure of it. And I want to be good like you. How did you get there? How did you get there where you are good? And what Jesus is saying, no man is good. Only God is. If you want to know eternal life, if you want to enter eternal life, you actually need to know who God is. And right now, you don't. You don't know who God is. He is a good, holy God. Then he goes on. Because once you start trying to understand who God is and you understand him, the natural flow is that you start understanding yourself. And this is where Jesus, once again, does this next step. If you want to inherit eternal life, know who God is first. Let's define what eternal life is. Then what you need to know is to know yourself. So he continues and says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. He says, okay, let's 
let's, let's get this straight. You don't know who God is because you think you can be good. Let's see if you know who you are. So have you followed all of these commandments? And he says, yes, I have. And I don't actually doubt the sincerity of his answer. I'm sure that he didn't commit adultery or murder. I'm sure he didn't steal to gain his wealth. I'm sure he honored his mother and and father. And so I'm sure that he, he wasn't bragging. He was saying something that's true. But as Paul says in his books, the purpose of the law, one of the purpose of the law is that it, as you try to follow them, it drives you to despair. Because it, if you follow all the commandments and you try to live that perfect life, you know that you're going to fail. And you see yourself as wretched, not worthy enough to be in the presence of God. And that's what he was doing. He was telling him, did you follow these commandments? He said, yes. But look at the things that he doesn't mention in the commandments. You know what one commandment he doesn't mention? Have you coveted? Because that covet is an internal thing. It's an internal commandment. It's a commandment of the heart. All of these other ones are a commandment that anyone can see you do. But the covet is something that you cannot see that's inwardly. And so what he's driving this rich wrong ruler to do is look at your life. Have you really followed all the commandments of God? Because if you have, you will realize how far short you are to achieving what you want which is eternal life. You know, it's C.S. Lewis who said this. He says, It was not until I tried to clean up my life that I finally realized how truly sinful I was. This person wasn't ready for the gospel because he didn't know how sinful he was. And then he goes to the the heart of his questions because I believe that this young rich ruler had a question, an outward question, which was, what must I do to, inter- to inherit eternal life? I think the inward question was, there's something missing in me. What is it, God? What is it, Jesus? What is it that's making my life incomplete, not satisfied, not feel like I'm, I, I, I can inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers that question here, because Jesus knows that that's his main question, not the commandments. He goes to the heart. He says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. That one sentence there that Jesus gave went to the heart of his problem. The heart of his problem where he was feeling incomplete, There was a God in his life that was not the true God. It was wealth for him. And that's the God that he could not let go of. So he went away disheartened, sorrowful, 
and he walked away from God. He wasn't willing to take the risk of faith because of his great wealth. Well, he could have had greater wealth. He made the ultimate decisions of his life based on this life and not the eternal life. See how ironic that is? That he has so much money in this life that he was not willing to let it go so we could have the eternal life. Now, this doesn't mean that if you are rich, that you need to sell everything that you have and give it away to the poor. No, all of us have idols in our heart. Some of it, it may be riches. Some of it may be other things. Are you willing to let that go? This idol go and worship God alone. That's what Jesus is asking this rich young ruler. It has not too much to do with wealth. It really doesn't. It's about this God that is in his life that he is unwilling still to let go. And he says, until you're ready to let that go, you cannot have eternal life. And so sadly, he leaves. You know, this will be a sad story <laughs> if we just ended it there. So hopeful at the very beginning, I'm sure the disciples are looking at the, story, looking at the situation saying, oh, you know, Jesus, we're going to see how he witnesses. We're going to see how, how he does it to get this guy in. And at the end, he leaves, grieved. And then Jesus, in verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 23, looks at his disciples. Because the lesson isn't over. He continues to teach his disciples. And it says here, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have well to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God for all things are possible with God. And we're going to just kind of stop there. We're not going to read the, um, the response from the disciples. So after this event, after this dramatic event, the disciples are quiet the whole time. And they're kind of looking. And they were like amazed. How did we lose this guy? How did he walk away? And Jesus looks at them at their amazement. And he says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And says, let me, let's, let me summarize this for you guys, for your disciples. It's difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed. And here's why they were amazed. Part of what I said a little earlier. See, in, in the, the time right now, what the rabbis were teaching, what the Pharisees were teaching was that if you obeyed God, the statutes, which seems like this guy did, avoid all sins, which seems like this guy did, that gets you in. But it's not only that. At that time, uh, people saw wealth as a blessing. 
they saw it as a blessing of God that since he was young and wealthy, that God must have favor upon him. So these disciples, that's what they were taught. And they were thinking, well, wait, hold on. This guy is not only, you know, uh, wealthy. God is blessing him. But he's not one of those wealthy guys who steals money. But this guy's not only wealthy, but he's pious. He's trying to follow all the commandments of God. He is a ruler, someone of influence. They thought all of these things were blessings from God. And they're saying, where is there hope then for any of us who are not as blessed as this guy? And then Jesus, seeing their amazement, said it again, but in a different way. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You know, people have, you know, made, because camels are huge. This was the biggest animal in that time. And I have a needle. That's a pretty small opening. So they try to say, well, that's not possible, right? So let's, I think the needle, the needle meant this opening on the side. And so maybe if you push the camel in, it'll go through. And No, what Jesus is saying is that it is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And if the disciples were confused or saying, well, maybe, he says it again, again, in a way that's clear to them. He says, with man, it is impossible. And once again, the disciples, then who can be saved? If this man who has all the qualifications to be in the kingdom of God, it's impossible for that man to get in. Who can get in? And the simple answer is, it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Does that mean that if you earn a certain amount of money, that God says no more? You made too much money, I'm not letting you into the kingdom of God. No, the, the emphasis here is on man, not rich. I think we focus on the wealth too much on this passage. The focus is, with man, it is impossible. You replace the rich with poor. Can a poor person get into the kingdom of God? No, it is impossible. Can a woman get into the kingdom of God? No, it is impossible. And that's what the disciples had to understand. That they cannot do anything to inherit eternal life. It has to be received. But here is a hope for us who are in the same boat. It's impossible for, for us to attain eternal life. But he says, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Not for God. For God, it is possible. And with God, it is possible for us. Jesus was the only one who could come and live this perfect life. But it's not only that. Because can a person live a perfect life? 
Is it possible? Yes, right? Theoretically, it's possible. But it's still impossible for that person to pay the penalty for our imperfection. It is only possible through the cross where Jesus can live that perfect life to earn and still end pay the penalty for our own disobedience. The cross is what gives us hope. You know, it's interesting here. There are a couple of things uh, that happens in this story that really rarely ever happens in, in the gospel stories. One is that the description of the rich, poor, uh, rich uh, young ruler, usually men are not described that way. There's another one where he calls him good teacher. It's, never, it's rare or it's never used, that phrase, that adjective for a teacher. But there's also a, something else that he says to this rich young ruler that is surprising. He says, as he was talking with um, him, as he was about to go away, he says, before he says, you like one thing, in verse 21, he says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. It's rare. Is it that blatant? We hear that Jesus loves in a general way, but it's rare that we hear, literally, Jesus says, he loved him. There is something about this man that grieved him. And that word grieved is that word sorrowful. That's how he left this man. That same word is used when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he was sorrowful. He was grieved beyond description. And that prayer, remember, was a prayer where Jesus had to make a decision. He asked God, can you take this cup away from me? I am about to go to the cross and pay the penalty for all the world's sins. God, can you take this cup? Is there another way? And he himself answers that same question. Is not my will, but your will be done. This young rich ruler had a decision to make, and he chose wealth instead of God. Most of us put in that same situation will put do the same thing. But here's where the possible comes. When Jesus was faced with even a greater loss. It's not only the riches that he left up in heaven, but when he took that cup of wrath, he knew that if he took it, that the intimacy with the, the, with the Father that he had for all eternity would be gone. Isn't that what happened when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that if he took that cup of wrath, that the most precious thing that he had, which was his fellowship with the Father, would be gone. What decision, choice did he make? He says, not my will, but yours be done. And he took the cup, was forsaken by the Father because he loved us. His decision is true. His decision is why we are saved. We make poor decisions, 
but yet he made the ultimate decision for us and that's how he loves us that's why he loves us and i pray and and hope that you hold on to this love during this time let's bow our heads and pray lord we thank you lord uh, you know during this time there are so many questions that we have lord whether it's about the vaccine pandemic whether it's about the new government whether it's about just other there's so many questions in 2020 and, and going on to 2021 that maybe we just haven't find, found the answer and we come to you and still sometimes we don't have the right answer and, and we don't know why but Lord you choose to, choose to not give us certain answers but yet you choose to answer the most important question how do I attain eternal life relationship with you And you tell us that with man it is impossible, but because of the cross, because of the decision made by Jesus, that we have eternal life, that we know the Father, we know the Son, and our hopes are not dashed, but the hope rises within us because we know you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.